The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. I'm Greg Mayer, and I'm joined today with our co-host, Professor Richard Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Our special guest today is Craig Robertson, a family law attorney in Ridgeland, who is here to talk with us today about child custody and child support issues. We'd love for you to join us. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one 877 672-7464. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Greg. It's great to have you back on the show this week. I'm really excited to have Craig Robertson on today. Um, Craig has been uh, chosen as one of the best lawyers in America. He is the founder and managing partner of Robertson and Easterling. Uh, I think probably what he would want me to say about him is that he is the founder of a nonprofit adoption agency called 200 Million Flowers. And also in 2016, he was appointed by the Mississippi Supreme Court to serve on the Mississippi Commission on Children's Justice. And he was instrumental in operationalizing Rescue 100, uh, a faith-based initiative to train foster parents in an expedited manner. And he's, he's actually been on the show before. He's a very generous with his time, uh, both uh, for this show, but also with our students here at the law school and it's great to welcome Craig to the show. Good morning. Um, thanks for having me back on the show this morning, Professor uh, Gershon. And it's great to meet Greg this morning and uh, excited to uh, engage with the listeners. Craig, we do appreciate you coming in this morning. We, we have a big topic that we're going to try to work through as much of it as we can today and over the next hour, and that's child custody in Mississippi. Uh, child custody affects thousands of people across the state uh, each year. And I think one good place for us to start the conversation this morning is exactly what do we mean by custody because there's two different types physical and legal custody so if you could sort of walk us through uh, what custody means sure absolutely so I probably answer more questions in my law office about child custody than anything else the essentially in Mississippi there are two types of custody um, there is physical custody which entails who a child actually lives with, and legal custody, which I tell my clients is a thinking um, side of custody. It's decision-making. It is decisions about health, welfare, maintenance. Um, and for, from a big-picture standpoint, the most important factor that a judge is to determine is what is in a child's best interest. And um, it's called the pole star consideration is a child's best interest. Now, when we're talking about physical custody, we're talking about who the child lives with. Is that correct? Right. So a, a lot of times you think of the physical custodian is, is who the child lives with most of the time. The other parent would be the visiting parent. And I, visitation schedules are like snowflakes. They're all different. And what's good for your family might not be good for my family. A typical visitation arrangement would be the non-custodial parent having the child from Friday afternoon to Sunday afternoon, and then some sharing of the holiday schedule. What is uh, the difference between uh, a parent having sole physical custody and parents having joint physical custody? Well, our uh, in 93.524 is the, the code section which talks about uh, child custody, and essentially a a judge or parents can agree to any combination of custody. What you see mostly is one parent having physical custody and the two parents, as, as long as everyone is healthy, uh, sharing legal custody. In, in other words, sharing the thinking side of custody. And that entails information sharing, information about a child's health, about their education, about their general wel welfare. It gives a duty to exchange this type of information between between the parents. 
This morning, we are talking with Craig Robertson about child custody in Mississippi. We'd love it if you'd uh, join us with your questions or comments. Or give us a ring at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Craig, you were just talking about sharing information uh, in uh, legal custody. Is it typical that both parents would have legal custody of a child in the wake of a divorce, or is it usually just with one parent? Well, it, um, it typically, in, at least in my practice, most of the time, healthy parents would share legal custody. But there are there are times. And many of the listeners probably know someone who's walked through a a difficult either post-divorce or custodial situation where it's just not practical, where parents simply can't get on the same page. And that, that brings up another point is in Mississippi, 53% of children are born to unmarried mothers. So whereas most of my practice is related to divorce and those things that stem from divorce, um, child custody is not in and of itself limited to divorce. And there is a there there is a movement in the law where there are third parties who sometimes have rights, custodial rights, especially when you have biological parents that are that are not fit. But um, but but again, the 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 situation in which probably most of the listeners would be familiar would be a post-divorce situation where parents uh, submit their dispute, their life, to a judge to make a decision. And one of those decisions is going to be physical custody, legal custody, and then the co-parenting arrangement. And there's lots of names for it, a co-parenting arrangement, a visitation schedule, um, but essentially a schedule to determine when someone can engage with their child. Well, let's go ahead and get to the phones. Uh, we've got Roger. Roger, I think you're on the road. Good morning. Well, good morning. Uh, as a former chancery judge, I uh, have encouraged to no avail the discontinuance of the insulting term visitation and instead substitute parenting time. Now, if chancery judges would be more concerned about words and helping parties than they are with their own re-election, maybe we could get that term changed. There's no reason why it has to be the term visitation. That's an insult, and what it ought to be is parenting time. I hope that's clear, and I hope that uh, you'll discuss that a little bit, because... I've been working on this for 25 years, and I've gotten nowhere. Let's don't say visiting time. It's not visiting with your child. It's co-parenting, or it's doing your extent of parenting, especially when you're talking about joint custody. It ought to be called parenting time, not visitation. Thank you. Judge, thank you so much for that call. Craig, you have thoughts on the terminology? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, the, you know, I'm, I'm a dad. I've got daughters who are age 13 and 14, and I am a big believer that that both the mom and the dad have unique skills, um, unique personalities, which just helps a child become a whole person. And so, I often use the word parenting plan and parenting time, co-parenting in drafting the settlement. Agreements, you know the. That's the thing about being an attorney, that we work in the abstract, and so we're presented with a legal problem, and we either present it to a judge. Well, any parenting plan will ultimately be presented to a to a judge for um, for entry as a final judgment. But sometimes those are entered through settlement negotiations, and so when when the dust settles and the dispute is over, we have. We have a contract. We have papers, either a court order or a contract, which is approved by a judge. And that becomes the, the, the law between two parents. But it doesn't have to dictate how the parents live the rest of their life. I've done more custody cases than I would like to count. And the happiest people post-divorce or after a custody determination is made are those who never have to look at the schedule. 
they just work it out. And in fact, when I'm putting together my um, parenting plans, the very first line says that the non-custodial parent can have access to the child whenever they can agree. But if an agreement can't be reached, here's the schedule. And again, the best plans are those that get put in a drawer and are never looked at again. Professor Craig, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt, but to, to the judge's point, too, I mean, I know some states have even moved away from custody as a term and they talk about shared parental responsibility you know, even the term custody has a, you know, kind of a meaning to it that, that can be off-putting. Um, and, and, all, and those states also have gone to requiring parents to go through mandatory parenting classes before they're allowed to get divorced when the divorce involves children. Do you see Mississippi ever going to those, taking those steps? Well, there, there have been, and it, it really, in our, um, in our system, it really depends on the jurisdiction you're in and the particular preference of the the, the chancellor. And so, um, yes, is the answer to the question. I, there, there already have been attempts for parents to go through um, these types of parenting classes, specifically when there's an irreconcilable differences divorce. And all the feedback that I've gotten is that it's been very positive. Um, typically, you'll have a counselor or a social worker who's involved in these these parenting classes. And I think it's a great idea because, in, you know, I've, I've been um, privileged to do a good bit of adoption-related work and also to help train foster parents, uh, help facilitate a program with trained foster parents. And, you know, these kids who there are custody disputes over, I mean, it's a, it's a terrible thing for a child to be caught in the crossfire between adults who can't make, um, who can't get along and can't make decisions. But, but at the same time, you've got um, two people who who may not agree, but they love this child unconditionally. And oftentimes with the, the epidemic we have with foster care, uh, th- these kids are often the lucky ones. And, you know, I've often said that if some of the resources that parents use on attorneys like me uh, when it comes to custody cases could be, uh, could be used to help children in the foster care system who aren't as lucky to have parents fighting over them, then uh, what a better society we would live in. Well, we're going to have to take our first break. We do have Larry on the line. So, Larry, if you'll just hold tight, we'll get to you right after the break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Craig Robertson and Professor Gershon about child custody in Mississippi. Please give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. to a radio? Well, don't worry. MPB Think and Music Radio are available online and on our MPB public media app. It's simple. Just log on to our website at mpbonline.org to get started. This is MPB Think Radio. I'm Robert Krillwich from Radiolab. We're told that smell triggers memories in the brain. So if you're in your car, let's try something. Roll up your windows and inhale, okay? There are some memories you cherish and others that just um, linger. But now here's a thought. How about contributing this barrel of aroma that is your car to your favorite public radio station? And you might even get a tax deduction. Thanks. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Radio. 
Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. You can also find it on the new MPB Media app. All of MPB shows are available on the app. This morning, we are talking with Professor Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law and Craig Robertson, a family law attorney in Ridgeland, about child custody and child support issues in Mississippi. We need to get back to the phone because Larry and Walls has been waiting patiently. Larry, good morning. Good morning. How are you, sir? I am fine this morning. What's your question? Okay, I've got a son that is on disability, and he and his girlfriend had a child. Well, mama uses the child as a pawn at all times. They do have joint custody. Well, since the child now is five years old, the mother has just passed, my son says that they, the mother of the child and the grandmother went to court, and grandmother's got the full custody of the child now without my son being consulted or taken to the courts or had anything in it. Not that he minds, but his legal rights are gone now. Is there anything to, any, any way to check into that and see what he really does have? Any options? Well, I think the, the, the first, um, the, the first thing to do would basically be to check the court file. Uh, obviously, these, um, except in special circumstances, uh, court files are public record. So I would, um, I would go to the Chancery Court uh, in the county in which you live and get a clear idea of exactly what, what took place. And once you have a clear idea, or at least the, the paperwork associated with the legal decision that was made, I would certainly consult with a local attorney because most um, m- most judges are going to agree, as um, Judge Clapp, who called earlier, that a child should have the benefit of not only, um, you know, both parents when possible, but the extended family on both the maternal and paternal side. Correct, correct. So as the other grandparent, I don't get to see this child as much as I would like to. And right now, visitation isn't a problem between the daddy and the grandmother on the other side. But, you know, feelings, bad words come up or anything else, then he loses all his rights. So uh, that's that's why I was asking that question. Right. And in, in my opinion, when things are going well, that's the time to make sure that all of these things are reduced to a court order because it's when... It's when things go poorly that, um, you know, that that's when problems arise. So if everyone is cooperating and communicating, that's the best time to engage in discussions about, you know, how we're going to to raise this child. Right. Exactly. So right now, everything's good. And I'm encouraging my son for the right way for the grandchildren. But it's just worrisome in some degree. So. Anyway, I thank you for taking my call. Uh, you've helped me with this uh, considerably, and I will do exactly what you said and see what the options are and go from there. Thank you, Larry, for your call. And, and Craig, that was an interesting point that uh, when everybody, when everything's working to sort of get everybody to agree, in your experience, how often are the custody issues worked out by agreement as opposed to the judge actually has to enforce something on one or the other party? Well, I tell... I tell people all the time that real custody cases don't settle because if there's a real, true, genuine dispute between between parents with regard to – or a parent and a third party with regard to what's in the best interest of a child, sometimes you have to present those to a chancellor for a decision to be made. However, most cases settle. And so, you know, most parents who love their children figure out a way to formulate a – a parenting plan um, to 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 create a a a landscape for a child to thrive in, and but you know the the, the situations you hear about are the ones in which they you know things become um, become bad. I mean, when the gloves come off. This morning, we're talking with Craig Robertson, a family law attorney in Ridgeland, about custody issues. If you have a question or comment, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's get back to the phones because we have Jesse from Madison. Jesse, good morning. 
my call. Yes, sir. How are you this morning? I'm doing just fine. Uh, I'm going through a bit of a custody dispute with uh, my ex, trying to, and I've had to even get Child Protective Services involved uh, to try and prove uh, both paternity of my child and get custody. But since the mother vanished, uh, they've Child Protective Services says unless they know where she is, since I'm not on a birth certificate, they can't help me and don't know what to do. And I'm trying to figure out where to go from here because there's concern over neglect and abuse in this situation. Well, the the, the answer to the question is that, you know, to seek a private attorney and to proceed with a complaint for affiliation is the fancy word when there needs to be a a paternity determination and custody determination between unmarried um, persons. And um, obviously, you know, any type of professional, if we don't know where the mother is, and I'm assuming if we don't know where the mother is, we don't know where the child is, that creates more difficulty. And then there's a legal concept called jurisdiction, which basically means where a case should be in what location it should take place in. And so, you know, depending on the circumstances, uh, your local court may or may not have jurisdiction with regard to this particular dispute. So, I mean, I think step one, and in these days of um, of social media, it's, it's it's much easier than it was when I began practicing twenty years ago to to find out information on your own. So, I, I think step one is determining um, the the whereabouts of of the child. All right. Um, so even if there's concern of, you know, child abuse and neglect, there's no way to get, uh, police involved or something to try to locate her. Well, um, how, and maybe I'm not fully understanding the, the dynamic of the situation, but how is there concern about abuse and neglect if the location of the mother and child is unknown at this time? Yeah. Um, I had previously had visitation of her and, we had had uh, immediately taken her to Child Protective Services over concern of abuse and neglect because of things that were going on while we had her. And then CPS told us that if the, at any point while they're doing the investigation, if the mom asks for her back and runs because I'm out on the birth certificate, that I have to give her back and she took her back before the investigation could be completed and since disappeared. And how long ago was it that they disappeared? Uh, probably about two weeks. Oh, okay. Well, the, um, you know, if I, if I were you, I would seek out the counsel of a local attorney. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's a limitation CPS, um, and DHS, I mean, they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases. And, you know, most active family law attorneys have, you know, 25 to 100 cases that they're working on. And so, you know, that the first step one between unmarried persons is to establish paternity. And you do that through a complaint for affiliation. And there's an old in the affiliation statute. There is a there is an old provision which was put in place so that unwed mothers would could seek um, would, would would not be um, discouraged from seeking um, filiation determinations in other words paternity determinations and so typically in a filiation case I'll advise my clients that they want to be the first one to file because the way the statute is written it says that the defendant shall pay the attorney fees of the plaintiff and I'm paraphrasing the statute so essentially, it's usually in the best interest um, of a father in a filiation situation to be the first one to file. I always like to be in any case that I'm involved in, uh, be the first to file because it, it deals with the order of proof and it gives you a little bit of the advantage. You can you can set the script as to how the story is going to be told to a judge. Craig. Okay. Jesse, thank you so much for your call. Uh, Craig, that touches on an interesting topic I imagine you've had to address before when you reference jurisdiction. And jurisdiction is the, the location where which court is actually going to be able to make decisions about the child's uh, best interest in custody. 
what happens if, if a child is born, let's say, in Jackson, and one of the parents then goes to Texas with the child? Which court, where would jurisdiction, which court then would be able to make decisions about that? That's a great question. And there's a, there's a uniform act called the Uniform Child Custody Jurisdiction and Enforcement Act. That's a real fancy sounding thing. But that the reason that most states, almost all states have adopted the UCCJEA is to address that very fact. So it really de- term, it depends on the situation, it depends on where the child is, how long the child has been there. Um, and so, um, so obviously that's a case by case determination, but, I, but I have found that for the most part, it's, it's logical. So in that example, if child was born in Jackson, mother moves to Houston, Texas, and is in Houston, Texas for three years, well, logic would tell you that most information concerning that child is going to be in Houston, Texas. And so that's where the case would more than likely be. Um, so I, I have found that in the situation that our caller was describing, you know, if the mom has been gone, you know, she's off the grid for, for two weeks and she, she was living in, say, Hines County, well, you know, I would not hesitate to file affiliation action in Hines County if that's where she's from, that's where her parents live, that's where she was last known to be, that's where the child was born. And so a lot of times jurisdiction follows sort of what, what makes sense. You know, we, we do get into situations in Mississippi where sometimes uh, jurisdiction makes sense, but venue, meaning the specific county, the specific courthouse that a dispute's going to be heard in. So, for example, parents live in Jackson, they get a divorce, mom moves to Harrison County on the coast, dad moves to DeSoto County in North Mississippi. Well, venue stays in Hines County. And so that geographically doesn't make a lot of sense, but the the concept is with a child, any anything that happens after the original judgment is entered is simply a continuation of that original legal action. We're going to take our next break of the day, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Craig Robertson about child custody in Mississippi. We'd love for you to join us. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. MPBonline.org is the destination for everything Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Catch up on past shows from Think Radio, check out MPB TV or Music Radio, and become a sustaining member all from one place. Get connected now at MPBonline.org. This is Ari Shapiro, host of All Things Considered. By the time you turn on our show in the afternoon, you've probably seen headlines, maybe you've read a tweet, you might have heard a newscast. So we want to tell you more than just what's happening. We want to give you reasons why things are happening, the context around what's happening. We want to tell you something that will stick with you while you're driving home or making dinner. All Things Considered. Listen every afternoon. Daily at 4 on NPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Today we're talking with family law attorney Craig Robinson. We're talking about issues of child custody. And we're going to get back to the phones because Desmond in Hattiesburg has been waiting. Desmond, good morning. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Um, I've got a child. Uh, my son is seven. Uh, he's mother's been gone since. I don't know, he was 10 or 11 months old. 
uh, and I want to get sole custody of, of him. Um, she's out of the state, I think, somewhere on the East Coast. Um, she may call once or so every four, five, six months. So how hard would it be for me to get sole custody, you know, with her having a history of alcohol and, and drugs and just flat out not being around? So if I understood you... More involved. If I understood you correctly, the the child is living with you and the mother has been out of state for many years now. Is that correct? That's correct. Uh, I would visit with a local attorney, and um, I, I don't know whether or not this is a this is a child that you had from a relationship or a child that you had from a marriage, but um, either way, then visit with a local attorney and file a complaint for child custody. And, you know, there will be an attempt. If you don't know where the mother is, then she could be served by, in other words, being informed about the lawsuit through a process of publication where essentially it's published in the local newspaper and, proceed to a hearing to have custody fully and finally determined. Are there, are there any, I, I guess, hard possibilities of, of her being awarded custody? Um, I just, you know, for the safety of, of, of my son, you know, anything other than, you know, I guess a supervised visit, I, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't bear to, you know, think of her being alone with it. How old is the child again? Seven. Seven. Well, anything's possible. And so certainly visiting with an attorney and where you can tell your story and you can tell the story of your child and the dynamics with the child's mother. And then that attorney can advise you with regard to, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of your particular of your particular case. But uh, and and oftentimes, the, you know, the, the concept in Mississippi is kicking the sleeping dog or kicking an ant bed. I mean, when you kick an ant bed, then ants are going to scatter. And so sometimes if you've reached a happy equilibrium, the best legal advice is to not do anything. I don't know whether that's the, the best scenario for you and your situation or not. Um, and a lot of people are under the are under the misimpression that, you know, every attorney, you know, charges a thousand dollars an hour and that it's always cost prohibitive to work with an attorney. That that's not always the case. Most attorneys will do a consultation for, you know, a few hundred dollars and, and, and really that's when the best legal work happens is when you have an opportunity to tell your story and you can get some initial advice. If um you know and it, and it, the advice might be, well look, if the mom is out of the picture and you don't have an immediate threat and Right now, you are the person in charge making the decisions for the child, and you're concerned about her input and her um, participation in the child's life having a negative effect on that child. Then, you know, maybe the maybe the answer is not to take any legal action. Um, well, my, my biggest concern with that, um, you know, based on I, I guess her dealing with uh, you know a, a previous relationship. I, I know that um, you know her plan was to try to go back and you know take the son that she had from from a previous relationship from the father without him knowing and just leave the state. So you know without having anything you know legally in place, I'm, I, I would be concerned. You know even though it's a remote chance, I would be concerned about her popping up and taking my son and not having anything to, to say about it. Right, and then you're, you're making a very good argument to visit with an attorney and go ahead and have that formalized. Sometimes it's better, you know, if in fact the mom has been out of the child's life for several years and the child and the mother is basically a stranger to the child, maybe maybe now is the time to take action. And um, often oftentimes it is. But, you know, a a, a court order which lays out your rights, duties, and responsibilities with regard to that child is certainly um, the more desirable outcome um, at, at this point based on what you've told me. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Desmond. Professor, this raised an issue with uh, as Craig was talking about sometimes uh, the cost involved in going to an attorney. I know at the university we have a number of clinical programs, pro bono programs. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, at, at Ole Miss in particular, uh, programs that might be available for those who would qualify, uh, for instance, for the Child Advocacy Clinic? 
Right. We have a. I'm so glad you you asked that, Craig, because it, you know it's really uh, important that listeners understand that there are services and resources available at at our law school. We do have a child advocacy clinic. Uh, David Calder, who has been on the show, uh, does great work in that in that role. Uh, we have several other clinics that provide uh, free or low cost services for people who can't afford to to pay. Uh, there's also Legal Services Corporation uh, here in North Mississippi. We have North Mississippi Rural Legal Services. So, you know, don't don't hesitate to at least seek legal help. You know, it, you know they're great private attorneys like Craig Robertson. And there are also resources available if you can't afford an attorney to at least seek out some help. Don't try to do it alone. This morning, we are talking about child custody issues in Mississippi. We would love it if you would give us a call. It's one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Craig, let's now start talking about uh, what it is that judges look at when they need to make a custody determination uh, between two parents. Um, it's something in Mississippi referred to as the Albright factors, I believe. Could you sort of walk through what what are the issues that the court's looking at if the parents can't agree on custody and, and the judge has to make that decision? Right. In an initial custody determination, well, in every custody determination, the the biggest factor is what's in a child's best interest. Like I said earlier, it's the pole star consideration, the biggest consideration. But we have our our law has developed these factors to help a judge flesh out, to discuss, to analyze um, what's in a child's best interest. <clears throat> and it was it was handed down in a case called Albright. And these are logical factors that the that a court uses. And they're the child's age, um, whether it's a, a little boy or a little girl, um, the health factors of the children, the continuity of care prior to the, the separation, the parenting skills of the parents, their willingness and capacity, uh, their employment and those responsibilities, and the stability of that employment, um, the physical and mental health of the parents, um, how old the parents are, the emotional ties between the parents and the children, um, the moral fitness of the parents to be um, to be awarded some type of custody, and the um, homeschool community record of the children. And then here's one that's, that creates a common misconception. There is a, there's a common misconception in the law, uh, or I'm sorry, a common misconception about the law that when a child turns 12, they get to decide what happens to them. And that's, that's, that's incorrect. I, um, in my office, work with people on a weekly basis where I explain to them that a child's preference, once they, each, once they reach the age of 12, is one of the factors it is not the determinative factor. And so, you know, if there's a, a, a 12-year-old little boy who is adamant that he should live with his dad, who, and the dad, by all other accounts, should not be the custodial parent, a judge should and would not award custody to that dad just because the 12-year-old made that, you know, that election. And then lastly, the stability of the home environment and then any other logical factors. I tell people when they come to my office and for the listeners right now, if you're if you're seeking uh, if you're in a potential custody dispute, you can help move the ball down the field for your attorney or for your advocate by um, typing out, writing out an analysis in your own words of the Albright factors. It, you know, back, think back to 11th grade English class, compare and contrast the following factors as they relate to you and the child's mother, you and the child's father. And then that that's a custody case in Mississippi, at least an initial custody case. When an initial custody determination is already made, then the modification, there are different factors um, that one has to analyze. So after an initial custody determination is made, at that point, you have to pr prove that there is a material change in circumstances in the custodial home that are having an adverse impact on the child. And if you meet factor number one and factor number two, 
at that point, you turn back to the Albright factors for a custody analysis. So the Albright factors, in summary, are the tools that judges and lawyers use to make a custody analysis. We're talking with Craig Robertson about child custody in Mississippi. If you have a question for him, give us a call at one 672 7464 Craig, one question I've, I've heard a lot is, uh, are the mothers presumed uh, to get custody uh, when you go to a child custody hearing in front of a judge? That, again, is another common misconception. The honest truth is that parents are on equal footing with regard to their custodial, the the potential of a custodial order being entered, a parenting plan, um, a co-parenting plan, whatever the terminology is that you want to use. They're on equal footing. But what I find in my practice is people have already set the status quo. For example, I'm, my, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. She is generally responsible for the day-to-day hands-on parenting. She takes the kids to the dentist. She takes the kids to the doctor. She picks them up from school 90% of the time. We have in our life, in our marriage, in our relationship, set a status quo. And so it's usually when the status quo has been disrupted that someone ends up in my office. And so, so no... A mother is not given any type of particular advantage in a custodial situation, but a lot of times people set the status quo. I I think an exception to that would be a really, really young child that might still be breastfeeding, and then there's a concept in the law called the tender years doctrine, which is an old concept, but the idea is that a a really small child should be in the custody of of their mother. And sometimes from a practical standpoint, for example, when a child might be breastfeeding, then that would hold true. But in general, moms and dads are on equal footing. Well, we're going to go ahead and take our final break for the day. Uh, There's still time for you to get a question or comment in. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. requires smart decisions every day. Make a good decision for your company today and reach MPB listeners through MPB program underwriting. For more information, go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting. My last play as an NFL player was probably the worst concussion I ever had. Blows, jolts, or hits to the head while playing put Mississippians at risk for concussions and brain injuries. She's been hit so many times in soccer just to see her go down like that. But some healthcare experts say more hits could mean more damage. I tell my patient it's not adding, it's multiplying when you have more than one concussion. Concussion, a game changer, a two-part series premiering November 16th at 7.30 p.m. on MPB television. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash terms. The show is also available on the MPB Media app. This morning, Professor Gershon and I are talking with Craig Robertson, a family law attorney in Ridgeland, about child custody issues. And we do have a caller on the line, Christina from Corinth. Good morning. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Um, I have a question about child custody. Okay, um, go ahead. My older sister um, abandoned her children with me and my husband in December of last year, and um, we finally got temporary custody of them in July. 
And when she found out, she, she abandoned him because she um, she's on drugs real bad. And um, she was with this drug sex offender boyfriend, and he finally got locked up. But she's still communicating with him and allowing the 11-year-old to write letters to them on her supervised visitations. Um, we have a court hearing on Thursday, and the biological father is now going to participate in this. Um, my oldest niece is 17, and she's going to graduate this year. She will be 18 the day before she graduates. The littlest niece is 11. Neither one of them want to live with their mom, but I don't know what – I don't – I'm a little nervous about Thursday, and I want to know if the father may – you think the father may be favored in this and may, he may be awarded custody, but he lives out of state. He lives in Florida. Were you awarded custody um, in the youth court, and is uh, CPS involved in the dispute? CPS was involved, yes, sir, and um, I've had the children in counseling. Um, we were awarded full custody um, at the end of August um, with supervised two-hour visitation for the mother on Saturday. Right. Um, so the, wh- and since then, she has not um, abided by the rules of the law and the papers. So the way that works is when, so the goal of um, youth court and foster care, um, I don't know if y'all are, are you licensed foster parents or? No, sir. Um, she she just abandoned them with me. Um, we didn't have no contact with her for several months until she was arrested. Um, and then, but we had already filed for custody because we didn't know where her whereabouts were. Right. So what typically happens when? when CPS is involved is the goal is reunification. And so a parenting plan is put into place, which sets Mm -hmm. parameters so that a reunification can happen between the children and their biological um, parent. Typically you have, I think of it in terms of kind of think of, think of, of rings you know, the first ring would be the biological parents who would have the paramount rights to the child. And then it would extend from that ring to grandparents and aunts and uncles like you've described yourself to be. And then the third ring going outward would be the general fostering um, uh, community in general. And so, you know, with a, it really so depends on the particular judge and the mm-hmm. particular social workers that are involved in the case. I mean, the yeah. way that the way that works is the social worker is going to make recommendations to the judge, but the judge, which I'm assuming is the youth court CPS judge, doesn't. CPS won't be there at court. We're representing ourselves. They were just involved because my the girls' mother um, called them on on me while I've been taking care of her kids. And that's the only way that CPS has ever been involved. Um, we've been, we went to a free legal clinic for legal assistance, and in Aberdeen they appointed a guardian ad litem, which the girls met the assistant that day, but they have not met the actual guardian ad litem. And here it is, court date Thursday, and they've never even met this woman. Um, so your dispute is in... Yeah, I just want to know if you feel like since the father is coming here from Florida... If you feel like maybe the judge may award him some kind of full custody for the girl since he can prove himself fit. Well, the mother is not doing what she's supposed to be doing, and there's legal proof of that. Well, the it sounds like your dispute is in chancery court as opposed to mm-hmm. youth court, which is which it would is. be handled a little which would be handled a little differently. Typically, typically judges want children to be in stable situations. And whereas um, I talked earlier about a 12-year-old not having the ultimate final or a child 12 or older not having the ultimate or final right to make the decision, you know, what a 17-year-old says um, about their their home, their home environment is going to weigh heavily on a judge's, um, on a judge's heart when it comes to making a decision. I call... You know, kids, once they reach about, once they get mobile on their own, you know, once they're driving age 16, I call them 800-pound gorillas because an 800-pound gorilla is going to do what an 800-pound gorilla wants to do typically. And so if right. a if a 17-year-old describes 
the home environment with you and your husband as being a healthy environment. They love their school. They're involved at their school. They want to stay there. Most judges are going to are going to agree that that would be in the best interest of a child, especially if they've been in the in your custody for some expen- extended period of time. It, it gets kind of academic with regard to the, you know, the the determination and you know because technically you're a third party because you're not a biological parent and that father from Florida right. is a biological parent. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Christina, thank you so much for your call. Uh, and, and there was a lot that you can unpack from what Christina was asking you. And just as a general matter, I wanted to ask you, Craig, uh, if you have uh, a, a parent who is out of state and been absent, but is still the parent, uh, how difficult is it? And in your experience, how often do you actually see parental rights terminated for children? Well, those are kind of two different questions. So the um, first, uh, termination of parental rights is basically the parental death penalty. It is when a a court severs the legal parent-child relationship. It's very, very serious. Um, it is a, a matter of one's constitutional rights. But in some, well, actually in many cases, it's what's warranted in a situation. And so there are um, some factors that have to be proven by clear and convincing evidence. And those are, you know, they could be abuse, they could be neglect, um, just lots of reasons why a parent's rights might be terminated. Um, she, you know, she was describing a situation of, you know, a third party having the the custody of a child. And so there's this, there's a parental presumption, meaning that it should be presumed in the law that a biological parent should have should be first in line with regard to who a child's custody should be placed in. However, there are circumstances where that presumption or that place in line can be forfeited. And in those types of situation, a, a judge is going to the umbrella, like we've talked about all morning long, is going to be what's in a child's best interest. And in the situation in, sh- in which she has described, the 17-year-old is the best person to talk about that. And that is going to have to wrap us for today's In Legal Terms. We're running out of time, but we appreciate Craig Robinson for joining us today. To hear today's show or previous show, visit us at mpbonline.org slash terms, or you can download the MPB Media app and listen to it on your smart device. All of our shows are available on the app. Our board engineer today was Jay White. For Professor Richard Gershon, I'm Greg Mayer. Up next is Relatively Speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.